financial advisor or financial planner. Terms are interchangeable because they get tossed around and kind of used interchangeably. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're the same types of people or the same types of services. And so that's why these questions are gonna be so important. This is Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp where I help tech professionals in their 20s and 30s balance a great life today without sacrificing their future possibilities. I'm your host, Lucas Caceres, certified financial planner and founder of Level Up Financial Planning, where I help educate, coach, and build strategies with my clients to help them take their financial confidence to the next level. Here's an important compliance disclosure. This podcast is for informational purposes only and are not to be considered recommendations. It is recommended you consult your trusted financial professional before implementing any information obtained from the Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp. Hello, thanks for joining Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp. I'm excited because I'm going to be talking about the 10 questions you should ask your financial planner. And so this episode is going to be great for anyone that is either considering working with a financial planner, maybe you've thought about like, hey, what does it look like? What do I need? What's the requirements and things like that? I'm going to tackle some of that here for you. Also, if you have a financial advisor and you don't quite know uh, what's going on or how they are adding value for you, some of these questions are going to help you get a, a better understanding of why your relationship or the way you guys work together is the way it is too. So hopefully you get a lot of value out of this. So one of the reasons why these 10 questions are important is because there are so many different ways and types of financial advisors you could be working with. So it, it's pretty insane. It's not necessarily something that I'm excited about because there's a lot of room for improvement for most financial advisors, most financial professionals. And a lot of it comes down to how the money is flowing around, how people are compensated. So that actually leads us to the first question. So how is that financial advisor or financial planner? Terms are interchangeable because they get tossed around and kind of used interchangeably. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're the same types of people or the same types of services. And so that's why these questions are gonna be so important. So how are you compensated? This is a huge deal because historically and still today, most advisors are gonna be commission-based. So that means they are selling you a product and then they're actually being paid from a different company. They're being paid by their broker, whether it's an insurance broker or an investment broker to sell these services and different products that they might be trying to, to get you to purchase. And yes, they, they could be products and services that are gonna help you, but at the end of the day, it does get a little bit tricky to determine, well, are they, doing this because they get paid more by giving me this type of product versus another route. And so that's always something that's interesting to navigate. I'm going to talk to you more on some of those things a little bit later in this episode. But my preference and the, the way I created Level Up Financial Planning to be is going to be a fee compensation. And so what that means is it shifts from someone else, a different company paying to sell a product to being more of a collaborative basis. So the, the fee only model means that you are the only person paying the advisor. Obviously, if the advisor has other clients, other clients are also paying the advisor, but it really kind of ties together that this is very much collaborative. You're not getting paid a crazy amount upfront and then you're gonna ignore me, which is something that had played that commission-based industry for quite a while, where if you're commission-based, they would typically receive a huge chunk of sales up front as far as income. And then basically there was no incentive for them to keep working with you. And on the fee-based kind of more collaborative model that I use, it's very much so 
we're, we're in this together. So you're only going to continue paying a fee if you feel like you're getting value from that service. So that's why it was important for me to go that the fee-based route makes it very transparent as far as how the advisor is being compensated and also easy for you to determine, well, based off the value I'm getting and the, the fees I am paying, does this make sense? So the second question is, are you a fiduciary? This is very important to me that you understand what a fiduciary is. So a fiduciary means that by law, someone is required to act in your best interest. And that's super important because as you can imagine, if they're not required to act in your best interest, well, whose interests are they serving? And how is that impacting you? <laughs> so that's important to get down to. So with the groups I'm a part of, we call the fiduciary word the F word because it's very staggering as far as people's stances on it. Anyone who is a fiduciary says this is the gold standard. This is what everyone needs to have if they're given financial advice, given financial planning, because it, it helps remove as much of the bias as possible. And it kind of puts a, a law of requirement in place where, yep, if they do not act on their fiduciary duty to you, they could be liable to lawsuits and things like that, where if, if they're not a fiduciary and most financial advisors are not, then it, it gets a little tricky. And so the reason why most financial advisors are not fiduciaries, again, it's kind of tied to that compensation model. If an advisor is working for a larger corporation or a larger business, their duty is to their employer. It's not to you. Also, if there's no fiduciary duty, they can act in their own best interests as well. And since there's no requirements to make sure that they're looking out for you and doing the, the best thing for you, then it, it's pretty scary as far as some of the things that some advisors would do and recommend, and definitely the quality of service level is not going to be there. So being a fiduciary is super important. As I consider it the gold standard as well. This is something where even if it's a family member, anyone reaching out to me, even if I'm not going to be a good fit for them to be their financial planner, I say, hey, make sure they're fee only, which goes back to question number one, and then fiduciary, which is this question number two. So make sure they're acting in your best interest. So that there's never any confusion as far as who they're serving and how they're going to be acting uh, for you. There's never going to be a questionable situation where you're like, well, why, why are we going this route? Is it really the thing that's best for me? So question number three, this is a huge one because I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand how different some financial advisors can be. So do you provide additional value outside of my investments? For most financial advisors, especially if they're not fiduciaries, especially if they're commission-based, they're not going to be providing value outside of investments. They're going to say, hey, let me manage your money and I will choose the investments for you. I'll rebalance it. I'll take care of these investments, basically. And maybe you'll check in yearly. But other than that, they're, they're probably not going to be too proactive as far as navigating what's going on in the world navigating what's going on with your financial plan. Are you on track to hit your goals? Things like that. So it's very important to know this because sometimes the fee and the cost is the same amount as working with a comprehensive financial planner who is going to tackle all these things. What's, what's most important to you? How can we start to actually create action items, whether it's something as kind of foundational as budgeting or something as complex as tax planning. So there's a, a wide range when you're working with a comprehensive financial planner where they're going to give you a lot more service, a lot more strategies and education and coaching and guidance outside of just investments. And unfortunately, most people don't realize that. Most people say, oh, 
I'm working with a financial advisor thinking that's a, a coverall for, this is what financial advisors do. They, they help with investments. Interestingly, it depends on where my clients are at. So my clients that are closer to retirement, yep, there's more value on the investment management for sure because they've accumulated more assets. Still a lot of huge planning topics like social security planning, tax planning, retirement planning, all these fun <laughs> things. But then on the other end of the spectrum, some of my clients that are just starting out, maybe they don't have any investments at all or just kind of early to the game. The, the investments don't really have that much of a value, right? Like how much, even if you get a, a 50% return on a $1,000 portfolio, it's just not that much value. But the, the education and the foundation and making sure that they're doing the right things and creating a plan and establishing a plan that they have confidence in that adds a lot of value more so than the investments themselves. So it's important to know that and kind of determine, well, if all they're doing is investment management and that's all I expect them to do, maybe you're happier with that, but maybe you shouldn't be paying as much as you are. If you could get all that along with an actual plan an actual coach, someone that's going to spend a little bit more time with you than maybe your quick call once a year. Another important one is what is your investment philosophy? So this one, I'm not going to be, hey, it's this or that as far as something being better than the other. What my preference is, is going to be very much more a passive investment philosophy. So not try to do anything crazy. I'm not trying to beat the market. There is the, the other option that's not passive where it's going to be more active strategies, more active investment management with that type of plan, you're going to be hoping that you're going to outperform what the standard markets would be doing, where I very much so focus on the passive and expect that if my clients are making a decent income and doing the right things and they're starting early enough, we actually don't need to, to beat the market. All we have to do is control the things that we can control and make sure we're diversified, make sure we remove risk. That's how I approach it with the passive investments someone that is going to be very much more active with the investment philosophy, they are going to try to take a little bit more risk sometimes to outperform. And that's fine. They can definitely do that. The research shows that it's kind of a coin flip as far as whether or not they're going to do that. And there's usually more cost too. So if you're choosing investments that have a higher cost because there's more management, more aggressiveness, more trades occurring and things like that, then it becomes more active, it becomes more costly. So they actually have a higher hurdle to overcome before they can even break even and actually match up with a passive investment. I don't want to do a coin flip with my clients' investments. And so that's why I go a, a different route and just do focusing on the things that we can control, manage with passive investments and have a, a good degree of education and expectation as far as what to expect from your investments. So another important topic is how often will we meet? I kind of highlighted some advisors. Maybe you'll hear from them once a year. Maybe you'll exchange an email once a year. That's fine if that kind of matches up with the, the value and your expectation of kind of dealing with them. But there's a wide range. You could be working with them monthly, weekly, quarterly, and that's important. Mine, my model definitely depends on kind of what's going on in my client's financial life. So we kind of do a lot of meetings up front make sure we get a base plan established and then we start to transition to quarterly check-ins and that's how i've approached it some of my clients obviously are making big major changes every few months and so sometimes we'll go off schedule i have clients getting married getting engaged buying houses refinancing houses dealing with COVID 19 and layoffs so 
I very much as as you need it advice, but at a minimum, I'm going to be reaching out quarterly. And so this one, again, there's no right or wrong. It's going to match up with what your expectations are, where you're hoping to get value from, and then also your time, availability, and commitment. So I think you should definitely spend some time if you're actually doing real financial planning more than once a year. But at the same time, you have a life to live. You're a professional. You're working hard with the things that you can impact and create the most value for yourself. So it's going to be somewhere between one year and a little bit more frequency, I think would be a good value depending on what you have going on. So this question, luckily, I don't think it's as big of a deal as it used to be, but this is question number six. So do you include both myself and my significant other in the meetings? The reason why this is crucially important is because traditionally, whoever the kind of lead role, the lead financial person was, they would just be the only one working with a financial advisor. I don't think that's a good fit, especially when you're going to be doing real financial planning, talking about goals, kind of maybe changes, improvements that you may need to make. So when it comes to financial plan for me, I think it does need buy-in. It needs kind of both parties being present and talking about what's important to them so that even though you might have different approaches, you might have different feelings about how to do it with the money initially, at least we can agree that there is a common goals that we're going to set together. And then that's going to help that conversation and that improvement, the actual actions that are going to need to be taken in order to move you closer towards those common goals. So I think that's important. Again, in the past, I think it was traditionally males that were going to be in speaking with a financial advisor. And that was just kind of it. And it causes a lot of issues. So there's, there's all these different things that you have to navigate and it gets tricky if we're not, not everyone's on the same page. So what happens when you retire? So if any of you have seen my picture, I'm not retiring anytime soon, but this is a very important question because the average age for financial planners is 51. It used to be a little bit higher than that, but luckily there's been a lot more real financial planners that have been graduating from different coursework at schools, getting their certified financial planner designation, things like that, where they're helping to bring that average age down. But there's going to be a lot of advisors that are 50 or older, and they probably are not going to be around the same amount of time that your investments, your retirement planning, financial planning are going to need to be upkept. So what's the game plan for that? So again, I mentioned I'm I'm pretty young. I'm not retiring for a good 30 years or so, but that that's going to be a conversation I'm going to have to have when when that time is, is coming along. And to be honest, I'm not sure which route I'm going to go if I'm going to look to expand and start hiring. I'm starting to get to the point where those decisions are going to have to be made here soon, or I'm going to have to slow my client intake to make sure that I don't strip out my capacity, strip out the, the value and my availability that I provide my current clients. But yeah, definitely important if you're speaking with someone who is very much near to retirement than, than I am. So I think this one's important too. I'll get this a few times when I'm speaking with people at the possibility of them working with me is, well, will you shoot straight with me? And I think it's very important that you have a, a trusted and very respectful relationship. And that, that comes with being honest, transparent, and kind of confident as far as how I'm approaching my financial plans and why any recommendation I make, I'll easily be able to back it up with facts and figures and things that are actually relevant to your goals and things that are important to you. 
but that's something where a lot of advisors are order takers. If you say that you want to do something, they'll be like, oh, yep, let's let's do that and not actually provide education, not provide guidance because they, they want to make the relationship as frictionless as possible. But if I think there's a, a way for you to improve and make a better decision, I will share with you what and why. I'm always going to support my clients as far as what they decide to do, but I think being educational and making sure that we're doing our best to improve your situation, making sure things are aligning with the things that are most important to you is always going to be clear, even if it does require an uncomfortable conversation like, hey, I noticed you did this. It probably doesn't match up with some of your goals and some of your long-term things that you want to achieve. So let's let's talk through this. How can we make sure that we are on the same page and kind of are moving in that direction you want to? So I think shooting straight is an important aspect of working with a financial planner because again it has to be that kind of trusted respectful conversation to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to it's kind of like a, a coach if you imagine michael jordan phil jackson their relationship sure was dicey at times but they had the ultimate respect for each other and they were willing to kind of support each other and tell each other when they needed that course correction so that they could all improve and kind of meet those goals that they set for themselves so question number nine, I think this again is a super important one. It's becoming less important as financial planning has developed to be more of a profession rather than just kind of a sales job. And how did you obtain your experience? So this is still the most common way though that most people get into financial planning. They come in as a broker and a salesman they get taught by their company how to sell things and how to overcome objections and how to sell those products specifically. And what happens is as they start to become more knowledgeable, they realize, ah, I probably want to do something that gives me a little bit more control over the recommendations, starts to align me with doing the right thing and becoming a fiduciary. And a lot of times that's not from within those companies. And that's important to kind of consider when you're looking at someone's background, it varies pretty substantially as far as what type of knowledge they're bringing to the table. Do they have designations? Certified financial planner. I've used the word gold standard. Also, again, very important gold standard for working with a financial planner that's going to help you achieve your goals outside of just investment planning. So certified financial planner is something good to take a look at because it does require some things. It requires education for certified financial planning. Then it requires some rigorous coursework. I think the statistics float somewhere between like 50 and 65% pass rates for the test. So there's a, a rigorous test that you need to take. You also need three years of experience. So all these things have to add up and be matched before you become a certified financial planner given that designation. So that's important. It kind of talks to their experience. Luckily, there are financial planning programs, and that's what I went through at Colorado State University. So it took me a while to figure out what do I want to do. But once I decided financial planning was it, I actually dug in and kind of found out, yep, I want to become a fee-only financial planner. I want to become a certified financial planner and all these things. And so I ended up working for an independent financial planner and gained my experience there. So that was helpful. It saved me from going the route of a peer salesman at a brokerage firm, basically. The last one is why should you choose that advisor? And so this one can be a tricky question to ask because it might kind of sound challenging, but I think it's a very relevant question and it will 
help you see where that advisor places their value compared to all the other choices that you could choose. So when you ask someone, hopefully they're not going to talk about investments only unless that's all you're hoping for to, to get out of the situation. And hopefully you'll start to see that some of the things that they're mentioning are going to be a huge value add for you. I think for me, it's providing clarity, accountability, confidence for my clients to actually understand like what they have to focus on, how they can improve their financial situation and really level up over time. And also I think the thing that I've heard my clients say to me specifically is that the fact that I care. So if something's coming up, regardless of what it is, if we need to jump in and talk about it, I, I care about my client's situation more than anyone else, probably other than themselves personally. And I, I will even go as far as stretching, like I, I maybe even more than your parents and things like that. So I just get super involved in making sure that I'm doing the best I can for my clients so that they have the, the cleanest, most focused road to focus on so that they can enjoy their life now and be confident about the future that they could possibly attain. So just kind of summing those things up, I think you have a good idea of where I stand and where I think those questions would be most favorable to you. Obviously do additional research if you need to. There's going to be other questions that you want to know. Uh, make sure that you go into that financial planning meeting or financial advisor meeting with these questions written down so that you can kind of meticulously go through them and make sure that there's nothing that's not answered that would make you feel uncomfortable if you don't know the answers to these questions. And so, yep, you can definitely steal these 10 or modify them however you need to, but hopefully that gives you good insight into choosing the best financial planner for you because that's the most important thing. It, I'm not going to be the best for everyone. And so it's important to get the answers for all these and then make sure that you, and if you have a significant other, that this advisor is going to be the best fit to help you actually grow and do better than you would be without an advisor, basically. So hopefully that's helpful and reach out if you have any questions. Thank you so much for listening to Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp. You can find show notes by visiting levelupfinancialplanning.com and finding the podcast page. You'll also be able to find strategy guides, videos, and cheat sheets to help you take your financial confidence to the next level. If you feel this episode has added a ton of value for you, please rate and share this with friends and colleagues. Catch you next time on Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp.